Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Dead House Gates, Volume 2 of the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Stephen Erickson. Today we will be covering Book 3 of Dead House Gates, Chain of Dogs. Okay, this was a pretty weird book. And that's saying a lot because a lot of strange things happen in Malazan. But I think this was the part of Dead House Gates so far where I felt the most confused. Obviously, there was so so much here that I absolutely loved, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I'm not quite so sure about, if we can, like without spoiling anything. Uh, same. I feel like there were some sequences of events that I'm hoping you can kind of help me unravel. But I was just like, whoa, a lot just happened. A lot happens where each character that the thing is happening to only knows like a little bit. If you put all of their information together, you can kind of figure out everything that's going on. But it's hard to do that. There's just a lot happening. And sometimes going in and out of Warrens and things like that aren't explained like super well. And no. so you're just like, I don't really know. Are we in a desert or are we on an ocean? And I don't like. <laughs> yeah, uh, like the uh, the whole mess of events on the Salanda right at the beginning of this book yeah. is really, really weird. I had to read it a couple times. The city full of like petrified people that Felicin and Culp and Haboric find later yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the book. The conversation between Apt and Shadow Throne was in that weird like one-eyed kid and everything like that totally. was totally really i just i think this episode might actually be a little bit shorter than our other ones have been so far because i think there's just a lot here that we can't really get a super good grasp on until we've finished the the entire volume the next book uh dead house gates which is book four in the second volume and in my memory i remember like I don't know, the chain of dogs to me sequences just like running and fighting and running and fighting. And that's what my memory kind of did with this area of the book. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, well, there's a lot more going on here than just, yeah. just that. I remembered it being just Coltane and Duiker and stuff. But Same. I think that my memory, it spreads more across the entire book. Like the chain of dogs, like actual thing that's happening, all these refugees and all these soldiers and stuff being kind of harried by all these other forces of seven cities. That's kind of throughout the entire book. And I think in my mind, I was like, oh, Chain of Dogs is a chapter. Like, that's where all the cool stuff happens. And it was like, totally. no, actually, that's you. You kind of there's a there's a cool thing. There's a cool battle. But then on the <laughs> other side of that, which was like the thing that I felt like I understood the most, actually, <laughs> was yeah. this battle, which is funny because usually I'm really confused during those things. But with Testament everything else, man. oh, man, like everything else around it. Let's just do the recap, though. It's a okay. long recap. Uh, it's very, very detailed. Let's do that. And then we can talk about some of the things that were kind of confusing. Let's just try our very, very best not to spoil anything. If if we're confused for this episode, that's fine. We've got a whole that's other fine. book after confused. this for this volume. Uh, so let's try our best. Let's do it. We begin on the Salanda, where Culp struggles with his Mayanus Warren in an attempt to find a way out of the Kirald Emerlane Warren. He is unsuccessful. He feels a tremendous power passing through, which he guesses to be either Anomander Rake or Osric, though the former is in Genabacus, and the latter is rumored to have gone to a far southern continent a century past. Moments later, an enormous, undead, soul-taken dragon flies between the Salanda and the Rent. Sensing that Culp was trying to seal the Rent, the dragon psychically takes hold of Culp, levitating him above the deck and casting him in blue flame. Other Ascendants take notice and join in to inhabit Culp. This action seals the rent and Culp is freed. The dragon flies away and the Salanda is steered to ride its wake. The dragon then opens a warren that is engulfed in fire. Bowden picks up Felicin and jumps overboard as the Salanda and its inhabitants burn. 
They land in desert sand. Bowden has been burned all over, but is otherwise uninjured. He tells Felicin that he has been changed somehow. They begin walking through the desert and come across Haboric and Kulp. Kulp is unconscious, Haboric claiming he hit his head going over the side of the Salanda. The ex-priest informs them that they are on the mainland of Seven Cities. Kulp comes to and leads them through the desert. Kulp demands to know why Bowden is acting as bodyguard to Felicin, and Haboric lets slip that Bowden is a Talon, sent by Tavor to protect Felicin. He goes on to explain that the Talons were created by Dancer. Lassine sent the Claws to kill all of the Talons when she became Regent. Bowden explains that only a few are left, living underground and consisting of either elderly or sons who have inherited the secret. He also affirms that Felicin was never supposed to stay in Skullcap. By adding her to the Cull, Tavor was showing her loyalty, as well as House Perrin's loyalty to Lassine. The new adjunct employed the services of a Talon instead of a Claw to prevent the act from breaching the knowledge of the Empress. Felicin's own actions at Skullcup kept Bowden from getting her out. Bowden says his father witnessed Dancer and Kalanved's ascension in Malaz City. Felicin orders Bowden to leave, claiming that she will try to kill him at every opportunity. Though Haboric and Kulp are infuriated at Felicin, ridding them of such a useful companion, they elect to remain with her instead of following Bowden. Haboric feels indebted to her, and Kulp is there to aid Haboric. They see the whirlwind rapidly approaching them through the desert, and Kulp realizes they are in Raraku. They flee towards the hills as the sand they flee towards the hills as the sandstorm engulfs them. Fiddler and Mappo have a conversation as Iskarl Pust delays their departure. Mappo tells Fiddler that Shaik was assassinated. They wonder if Pust is scheming to use Absalar to fulfill the prophecy of Shaik reborn. Mappo surmises that Pust is involved with the Path of Hands and the convergence of the Soul Taken into Ivers. He tells Fiddler about the chamber beneath the temple where he and Ikarium found the carvings of the Elder Deck. He says that he believes an account of the creation of the Shapeshifters may be found there, and that the Shapeshifters are after that knowledge in the hopes it will allow them to ascend and become the god of the Shapeshifters. He believes that is where the end of the Path of Hands lies and that Pust has been endeavoring to throw them off the trail by planting false markings in the desert. Fiddler and Mappo conclude that Pust has been keeping Mappo and Ikarium around to help fight the shapeshifters off if it comes to that. Fiddler correctly guesses that Ikarium is obsessed with time, building constructs to measure it all over the world, that he is nearing his goal, and that Mappo's vow is to keep him ignorant of his past. Fiddler wonders about the tales of horror he has heard about Ikarium, and finds them in contrast to the person he has come to know. When they rejoin the group, they find Crocus choking the life out of Pust, having become aware of Pust's plans for Absalar. Fiddler and Absalar remind him that shadows are gathering, and convince him to let go. Absalar declares that she will not be used by an ascendant again. Pust says that she wouldn't be used, but that she would lead. Absalar leaves the room, upset. The rest of the group work it out that the servant is actually Absalar's father that Shadow Throne took him as leverage, and that Servant has gone out to retrieve Shaikh's body. As they prepare to depart, Mappo collects a weapon in the form of a large bone of a massive skeleton, excavated by his clan centuries ago. The bone had inherent sorcery that was enhanced by Trail Witches. He also has with him a sack that is its own private warren, into which he has sometimes stuffed entire people. Akarium finds Mappo and tells him that Absalar has run off after her father. They collect their gear to set out after her. 
They theorize that Shaikh may have planned this from the start, and that Shadow Throne and Cotillion have never planned on a possessed Absalar going after Lassine, but may want to draw Lassine out to kill her before putting Absalar on the throne, with Dancer and Kalanved as patron gods. Ikarium voices feelings that he will find answers at Tremorlor. He asks Mappo how it will change him, and reveals that he is aware Mappo knows more than he lets on. Fiddler, Crocus, Mappo, and Ikarium set out after her, leaving Pust and the Bokharala behind. The pair agrees that Ikarium will have a decision to make at Tremorlor. Kalam finds Corbolo Dom's army camped along the south edge of the plain. As he observes rows of crucified prisoners, he ponders on his feelings of helplessness, hoping that someone better will take Glassine's place if he succeeds in eliminating her. He remarks to himself that he and Quick Ben have someone in mind for the job. Seeing no way around with the group, he takes the enchanted stone that Quick Ben gave him to use in order to get close to the Empress. He doesn't know what it will do, but believes it will help them get past the army of the apocalypse. Shattering the stone against a rock, the group is thrust into the Imperial Warren. This is much to Kalam's dismay, because he knows it will be dangerous. Kalam tells them that he will use the Warren to transport them to Iron. Lostara comes upon the open Warren and meets a man as he accidentally exits it. He tells her his name is Pearl and that he is a claw. He says he knows her to be a red blade. Pearl decides to join Lostara as they head into the Warren after Kalam. Corbolo Dom's army has crucified 1,300 children on crosses. Apt removes them and takes them to Shadow Throne, creating panic in the army of the apocalypse as no one saw the bodies being removed. Apt convinces Shadow Throne that he can use them as an undead army. The demon also convinces Shadow Throne to give her one child, as a companion who would ride her. The child's face, having suffered horrific damage, lacking a nose and eyes, she asks Shadow Throne to repair the facial damage and give the child an eye to match the one she has. Shadow Throne sends the pair off to trail Lestara and Pearl as they follow Kalam. Duiker rides with the army and catalogs its many losses and deprivations, recording and noting the seeming futility and rumors circulating amongst the troops. Captain Lull finds him to let him know he has volunteered to go after a Tithanzi war leader that has been harassing them with deadly effectiveness. Lull notes that Corporal List, alongside Duiker, is feverish for lack of water and has nether take him to a healer. Lull tells him they anticipate another battle after the next river crossing in an estimated nine days. They meet Lul's squad and Nil, who has narrowed down the Tithanzi war leader's position to an operational proximity. Nil remarks that the Malazan professional soldier is the deadliest weapon he knows. The warlock summons a hiding fog down upon them while sappers set off a munitions diversion. As they head out, Duiker muses on the span of time which has passed since he last participated in combat. His position as Imperial Historian has kept him from the dangers of the front lines. Additionally, he has been given alchemies to extend his life well past his prime. He recounts the past in which the Emperor withdrew him from service to make him Historian, assigning Tok the Elder to teach him to read and write. When Duiker wonders why Tok the Elder would not fulfill this duty, he is told the Emperor has other plans for him. Duiker feels remorse for how Tok the Elder vanished after Lassine took over and how Tok the Younger ostensibly perished in the Genabakan campaign. The warlocks open a tunnel in the ground and the squad descends to Duiker's dismay. It seems Duiker is afflicted by a phobia of enclosed spaces. The tunnel slowly fills with water 
and the team navigates through it until they finally exit near a campfire of a half-dozen Tithansi warriors, the ground strangely tinged with frost. The war leader and a semp with his mouth sewn shut enter the camp. The marines kill the war leader and several of the warriors. A clawed beast is culled from the earth by the warlocks and enters the fray, but the semk, apparently unaffected by the numerous arrows assailing him, starts to dispatch the beast while more Tithansi warriors arrive. Nil is unconscious, and the other warlock is devoured by sorcery. Duiker realizes that Semk is being controlled by a surviving piece of the Semk god the Malazans believed they'd killed earlier. Sappers use munitions to try and open a route out. A female marine carries Nil while Duiker covers her, killing two attackers in the process, a third eliminated by a claw weapon. This marks the second instance of such an occurrence. Arriving at the camp, Duiker asks Lul what other secrets Coltane is keeping. Lul tells him that he is quite certain Coltane doesn't know about any claw, but that he will surely want to. Duiker brings his observations to Coltane. The Fist is shocked by the news, but Bolt is skeptical. Sormo enters and tells them that the Sank God was indeed killed and torn apart, but that one of the pieces had corrupted the Earth Spirit that had devoured it. He says the other spirits will deal with it and blunt its attacks, and that this sort of magic is ancient from before Warrens, when magic was found within. When Coltane mentions water rationing, Duiker reminds them that the tunnel they opened had water in it. Coltane tells them they have one hour to ease a hundred thousand throats. The warlocks open pits and tunnels and dole out water. List voices concerns that some reckless drinkers may end up killing themselves. Duiker responds apathetically. His eyes catch a flash of white flowing down the valley side, vanishing beyond his line of sight. Kulp, Felicin, and Haboric have been trapped by the whirlwind sandstorm for three days. Kulp feels it is almost as if the goddess singled them out. They take shelters in caves the storm has carved into a mesa. They discover that it's actually a buried city and delve further in. Haboric, weak and feverish, mutters something about retribution, the fire empire, and immortal custodians. They discover a hole they need to get through. Felicin climbs a quartz pillar, an incredibly painful and draining experience. Heboric uses his ghost hands to first throw Kulp up through the hole, then climb up the rope they lower for him. Felicin watches Heboric with fear. She feels emptied, with nothing left in her to rebuild. Kulp deduces the room they've entered was once flooded. Finding a door, he pushes against it. It gives much easier than he expected, and he plunges through the opening and down the steps, breaking his nose. The room at the bottom of the stairs is filled with what Felicin first believes are sculptures, but in fact are actual people. Heboric tells them their children chose the path of the soul taken as an alternative to ascension, and that the elders had tried to create a new, safer version of their ritual for their children. He also says they'd extended their lives via alchemies, but that the altered ritual killed them. The city was later flooded after the immortal custodians had already come and gone. Felicin realizes these immortal custodians Heboric refers to were the Talon Emas. Heboric claims to be able to smell water, and the trio sets off to discover it. Felicin wonders to herself if she has Hood's presence in her or with her, and guesses that it may be the source of her dreaming about rivers of blood. They discover more bodies in the streets, these ones partially veered, killed by the violence the shape-shifting ritual gone madly out of control like a plague until it stopped by the Amas, whom Heboric says share a bond with the Soltaken and Deivers. He also identifies the cities as First Empire in its origins. 
Heboric theorizes that the shapeshifters they've met are heading to the ancient gate, and reveal that the undead dragon they encountered while on Salanda was a Talan Imas bonecaster. They find a fountain, and Heboric tells them that there will be benefits from drinking the water due to the alchemies in it. They drink. Kalam's group appears lost. The assassin is unable to determine why they haven't exited the Imperial Warren, despite his visualizing Arryn in acute detail. They sight clouds and prints and then smell the scent of shapeshifting. Investigating a pit, Kalam realizes they're traveling on a huge layered bed of ash from an entire land being incinerated, including living beings, saying to himself, We stride ancient deaths, the remains of millions. He spies strange mechanisms in the pit floor, similar to Akarium's machine in Darujistan. Keneb says he heard a rumor that Akarium had been sighted recently with his trail companion, and Panpatsun, and that the deck readers have been unable as of late to get past the first card, Obelisk, in all instances, an unaligned card. One seer had said Akarium is responsible for the impasse in the decks in some way. The group comes across a sunken road, and choose this location for their camp. Keneb tells Kalam about Manala, how her husband would beat her, force heal her, then beat her again. Keneb says he didn't know about it until the very end, and was on his way to the husband when the rebellion began, preventing him from confronting his sister's husband. When Kalam asks how the man died, Keneb declines to say. He says Manala had set herself up as protector of Selv and the kids, but now feels unnecessary with Kalam around. Kalam voices his belief that she doesn't trust him, he internally muses on the violent and brutal fate that awaits her husband at his hands should the man return from the grave. Fiddler and company are tracking Absalar as she tries to catch up to Serpent, who is on his way to Shaikh's body. The place is rife with Shaikh's warriors as well as Soltaken and Deivers. Two warriors suddenly appear, and before Fiddler can engage them, giant spiders swarm them and kill them. They come across another slain warrior, this one clearly the work of Absalar. Mapo tells them they are now walking the path of hands. As they proceed, Fiddler ponders the concept of Absalar taking on the role of Shaikh. While her skills would be useful, he theorizes she does not possess the intrinsic qualities that make an effective leader. Indeed, he can only think of a handful of such individuals. Dasem Ultor, Prince Kaaz Diavor of the Crimson Guard, Kaladin Brood, Dujek One-Arm, Tattersail, Whiskeyjack. He is also concerned about Crocus. The young Daruj is visibly upset about Absalar dismissively leaving without a word to him. Lastly, Fiddler suspects Absalar's father was a willing participant in putting Absalar in this position. Burl and Lestara halt before a portal. Burl tries to decide whether to explore it, a detour, or continue their pursuit of Kalam, and tells Lestara they are being followed. He decides to take the detour, believing assistance is required even though Lassine has made dealing with Kalam a priority. As she thinks he presents a personal risk, he tells Lestara they will be attacking Whirlwind soldiers to the end of aiding Coltane. He warns her to stay unseen and to keep distance from a Semk demon. They enter the battle, and Lestara executes a series of swift kills. They engage the Semk demon, who throws them aside with invisible sorcery, severely hurting Lestara. Pearl stands between her and the demon though he seems to consider himself dead already. Apt appears with the boy atop her. She plunges her hand into the demon's body, pulls out an object, and flings it away. Earl thanks Apt and opens a portal. Lestara goes unconscious. 
As Duiker makes his way through the camp, a large cattle dog runs by with a lapdog in its mouth, chased by several nobles. One of the nobles, a noted duelist named Pulik Alar, seems on the verge of challenging Duiker when List rides up and interrupts to summon Duiker to a meeting. They come across another group of nobles who watch as Lenestro whips one of his servants. Duiker intervenes, bringing the disciplinary action to a halt. He tells Lenestro they're taking these servants to the healer and that he won't be returned. When Lenestro protests, Duiker shakes the nobles to the point of fainting. When Nephthara protests, List tells him that Lenestro was lucky Duiker, whose name is among the noted on the First Army's Kalamat Unta, didn't simply kill Lenestro. On the way to the meeting, List confesses he doesn't believe they'll get to Aaron, whereas Duiker feels the circumstances forging him like cold iron. In the meeting, Sormo shares that a strange, unknown demon badly damaged the Semk demon, and that Nil had seen Apt and the boy. It remains a mystery. Coltane tells them they'll have to go through Camistrilo's army on the other side of the river Paatha, and that Duiker will ride with the marines. Informed of the servant problem, Coltane orders the use of the gold they're carrying, the soldiers pay, to purchase all of the servants. At night, Coltane joins Duiker, where he sits fireside and tells him their scouts are having a hard time seeing what Rilo has planned. He also says there is a second army that he plans on beating to the next river, Vathar, by two days, though the river is still months away. When Duiker asks if that second army is Shaik, Coltane says no that perhaps she hasn't released the whirlwind yet, because she's heard Devor is assembling the Malazan legions in Unta, in preparation for seven cities. Coltane takes his leave, and Duiker roams the camp. He comes across the horse warriors of the foolish dog clan, outfitting themselves and their horses with heavy armor, something very unusual for Wiccans. They claim to have devised the armor and equipment, previously to be used against the Malazans in combat, but it never came to that. Duiker meets this tactic with much skepticism, believing the Wiccans and their horses aren't trained or suited to such a role on the battlefield. Duiker continues wandering, watching soldiers preparing for the morning's battle. He finds Corporal List and Captain Lull with the Marines. Lull tells him that the refugees are being held back from the battle, guarded by the Weasel Clan. Captain Shened and Captain Solmarsh show up. Solmarsh says the sappers have all deserted, but Lull suspects they're up to something. Chened exits with an old-time phrase, Save me a patch of grass when you go down, and Lull informs him that Chened's father was in Dasim's first sword. Duiker marches forward with List and the unnamed female marine. Rilo has built a ramp before Coltane's army with steep sides acting as a fatal funnel, forcing Coltane's army toward only one exit and uphill. List seems to resent not having had an opportunity to wet his blade in combat due to his attachment to Duiker a sentiment the historian can sympathize with. The seventh marches up the ramp and engages, but before Duiker can get involved, List grabs the historian and turns him to make him watch as Nil and Nether lead a single horse into sight with their hands on it. Duiker engages the enemy in combat for some time until three blasts of the horn are heard, signaling the marines to split. The sappers appear, having buried themselves in the banks of the ramp overnight. They barrage the first line of Rilo's army with a mixture of lethal munitions before the heavy cavalry of the foolish dog clan charges up the ramp with impossible speed and strength over sappers lying on the ground with shields on their back. Duiker suspiciously observes Nil and Nether, still standing to either side of the single horse. Eventually, Rilo's army breaks and runs. 
a facially disfigured Lull appears, missing an eye and his nose due to a recent mace wound. He tells Duiker that Coltane's group is mocked for its nobleborn, and that the army is called the Chain of Dogs because Coltane leads yet is led, he strains forward yet is held back, he bears his fangs, yet what nips at his heels is not those he has sworn to protect. The Weasel Clan deployed a portion of the refugees as bait, losing hundreds of them, an act creating outrage among the refugees, and especially the nobles. Though this action was objectively clever and contributed greatly to the victory, in addition to this, the land spirits destroyed the Semk demon and the Semp's god Remnant. To top it all off, the Weasel Clan slaughtered nearly the entire Tithonzi tribe as well as the peasant army, something the Wiccans see as retribution in the form of inversion or poetic irony. Duiker sees Nil and Nether with their hands covered in blood with the mare, still standing despite being deceased. He is horrified that it died with a dumb beast's incomprehension at its own destruction beneath the loving hands of two heartbroken children, and its sacrifice to give the heavy cavalry its unnatural speed and strength. Kalam's group comes across an ash-covered dome. When Kalam clears off some of the ash, it reveals a symbol he recognizes from a Ginnabacus battle against one of Brood's company, the one led by Kalar, who called himself High King and claimed to have once commanded empires, each one making the Malazan Empire no larger than a province, and to have destroyed them by his own hand. Destroyed them utterly, made worlds lifeless. This suggests a temple to Kalor exists in the Imperial Warren. More focused now than ever due to a rising fear, Kalam is able to open a portal into Arin. The group is in an extremely impoverished part of the city, and make their way to a nearby tavern. While the others rest and bathe, Kalam sits at the bar of the tavern where he meets a Nippon ship captain, who tells him some mysterious stranger calling himself Salk Ilan has booked Kalam passage aboard his ship, Ragstopper, to Unta. The captain says he is sailing in two days with twenty marines, the High Fist's treasurer, and much of Arin's treasury. Kalam is surprised and confused at how Ilan knew he would be in Arin, let alone the tavern. Kalam tells Manala he's leaving, and that she and the others should get out of Arin. Manala is dismayed at his leaving and throws a melon at him in her frustration. He gives her the stallion and says he wishes things could have been different. He leaves with the captain. Afterwards, Manala says goodbye to Kaneb and takes off after Kalam, furious with the manner in which he's departed. Lestara leaves Pearl to report to the head of the Red Blades. In the streets, she is halted and arrested by a group of the High Fist's soldiers. The Red Blades have been detained for treason. Culp presses the others to move on due to the presence of shapeshifters nearby, when Haboric bemoans the coincidence of the whirlwind rising at the same time of the soul taken into Ivers. Culp theorizes that it wasn't accidental, but that someone started the shapeshifters on the Convergence due to the uprising, or that perhaps the goddess began the whirlwind to mesh with the Convergence. Felicin suggests letting themselves be bitten to become shapeshifters, and Culp tells her this is a rather common misconception. A bite would only result in a cycle of madness, whereas real shapeshifters are born. Heboric takes the lead. Felicin notes a mended effect thanks to the water, but her feelings of hopelessness persist. Heboric leads them through the city, the ruins filled with bodies killed in the battle with the Talana Mass. All the scenes of death lead Felicin to despair and musings that the actions of humankind are meaningless, affect nothing, and all that lies beneath is futility. They come to a temple whose frieze is an elder deck, showing the holds. Heboric asks Kolp to locate the one who sits atop the antlered throne, the hold of the beast. Kolp tells him the throne is empty and flanked by a Talan Imas, 
Heberic voices his surprise, claiming that the throne used to be filled. He asked Culp if he sees the unaligned, the mage doesn't, and says among them would be shapeshifters. They continue through the temple and exit onto a ledge high up on a cliff face above the whirlwind. Culp and Felison tie themselves to Heboric, who will climb down using his ghost hands. Heboric descends through the whirlwind. Felison's skin is scoured painfully raw in the process. When they reach the bottom, Felison looks up and thinks she catches a glimpse of a figure on the ledge above them. The group senses something approaching from close by and run. They stumble into a clear spot devoid of any suspicious presence. In the clearing are four men carrying a palanquin, bearing up a corpulent figure wearing voluminous silks, equipped with a parasol. He offers them healing unguents, food and water, and asks if Felicin is for sale. Culp points out his porters are undead and appear to have been chewed. When questioned how he manages to oppose the whirlwind, the newcomer says he's a merchant who trades with Shaikh's rebels. Thus, the whirlwind gives him passage. As his servants set up for camp, the newcomer observes that Heboric is a former priest of Fenner and Culp a mage of Manus. He introduces himself as Nawal Ibur. Culp tells Felicin the salves are indeed healing, and she uses it to heal herself. Nawal pulls out lanterns, wine, and food. Felicin partakes heavily of the wine. A massive soul-taken bear tries to enter the protected area but cannot. Culp moves closer to look, and as he turns his back to the merchant, Nawal shapeshifts into hundreds of rats that swarm over Culp, devouring him where he stands. Heboric enters the mass, his hands glowing, one red, one green, killing each rat he touches. The swarm drops from where Culp stood moments earlier, leaving a mass of bones and his cape. As the soul-taken bear tries ever frantically to gain entry, his forearm penetrating the protective wards, the swarm of rats head for Heboric. Bowden appears and dashes the oil lanterns to the ground amid the rats. Accordingly, the rats attack him. He breaks three more lanterns and fire engulfs him and the rats. Felicin rushes to Heboric and pulls him away. In her head, Nawal offers wealth, peace, and indulgence and tells her not to go, promising that he will deal with Bowden, Heboric, and the soul-taken bear, now revealed to be Mesremb. Felicin hesitates, but thinks that the Diver rats are losing. As she pushes Heboric away, the protections collapse and Misremb charges in. Felicin finds shelter for them nearby and promptly falls asleep. When she wakes, the storm is over. Heboric tells her that the rat bites have poisoned him and wars with the other strangers in his soul. Bowden appears, burned, gnawed, parts completely eaten away. He drops to the ground and Felicin cradles his head in her lap. Bowden whispers to her that she was not what he expected and dies. Felicin's armor falls away. Mapo tells the group Absalar and her father now walk the path together. Both he and Fiddler sense expectancy in the air from the whirlwind goddess. Ikaria mentions they've gone through two warrens on the path which he describes as ancient and fragmented, woven into the very rock of Raraku, and that he smelled the sea at one point. Mapo points out Absalar could easily evade them, therefore she must be leading them. Given that she knows what he and Kalam planned for Lacine, Fiddler wonders if she is contemplating taking on Shaikh, so as to further that plan. Mappo warns Fiddler that if she becomes Shaikh reborn, Absalar will be changed by the goddess, and will take on the goddess's cause. Fiddler says that she's arrogant enough to think that won't be the case. Crocus wonders if she's been repossessed by Cotillion, so he and Shadowthrone can use the whirlwind to wreak vengeance on Lacine. Fiddler shudders at the thought, 
knowing that God's ruling immortal empire would draw other ascendants into the mix and lead to devastating results. Back at Shaikh's corpse, Leoman feels the same change in the air, the sense of expectancy. The Toblakai plans to leave, believing Shaikh will not be reborn, but Leoman isn't ready. Felicen and Haborik appear. Leoman kneels before her and tells her, you are reborn, and a woman answers, so I am. Okay, so uh, in typical book reviews kill fashion, we're going to start at the last thing that you said and probably like work our way back. And arguably the most important moment of this whole middle part. I mean, yeah, like I think that this might be okay. I haven't read further. I have read this book, but I honestly am telling you, I can't really remember who it is. I'm pretty sure that's Felicin. It could be Absalar because of like her dad is missing hand or whatever. But right, right, right. Haborg is missing both. It's. It, he said hands, totally. plural. So I think it's Felicin, which is so cool because we thought it was Absalar this whole time. Totally. It still might be Absalar, but it, this seems like a Felicin thing. Right. Iskaro Pust obviously wants it to be Absalar. He's trying to manipulate that into happening, I think. But well, like, I don't know. Mappo just thinks that, though. See, that's oh, why oh, these books okay. are so complicated, is because it's like, well, I mean, Iskaro Pust wants it as well, but it's like, Mappo was like, the one trying to confirm it for us. Right, right. Like, that's I, what his game is, and maybe not. I don't know anything that Iskarl Puss is trying to do. I mean, that guy is, is I don't just know if Iskarl Puss knows what he's trying to do. <laughs> maybe, but maybe he's like so tapped in that he's tapped out. You know, I don't know what his deal is. You got to love the like casual butchery that shows its face from time to time of just like people being swarmed by spiders and then just like destroy like that is so horrific to me <laughs> like <laughs> no seriously it's so much i mean like the the rats uh going back a little bit further culp getting killed oh really man. quickly by a swarm of rats like i completely forgot about that and it's me just too. damn it man like i was kind of bummed out about that and his whole magic is illusion so i thought he was gonna like pop out from behind a rock and be like da -na -na, gotcha nope he was Basically, they ate all of his skin and organs, and you can yeah. see his bones and stuff. And yeah, he just collapses into yeah. this like ugh, mummy heap. Oh my gosh! And it's just—it really goes to show that just nobody's safe in this entire series. Like Culp has no. been here for the six hundred pages, five hundred fifty pages. Like I thought, Culp was here for a while. I forgot that he gets totally eaten alive by rats, like a bunch of piranha on land. So I—that sucked for sure. Ugh. Yeah, the, all of the Felicen Heboric Baden Culp stuff is just like. I kind of oscillate between really enjoying those chapters and, and just mostly because of Heboric, just being kind of like, what the hell is happening right now? Like, Totally. Love the ghost hands. Uh, the ghost hands are really cool. Um, I know that there's a lot of really important things going on with that, but I think that's more read and find out kind of stuff. Like Heboric definitely seems to have had a sort of change come over him ever since that um i think it was a talana mass and that warren told him that totally. uh that the god doesn't really care about you anymore and he's right just like, it's ah, like but you're geez. still kind of doing his deeds even though like yeah. he doesn't really like get give any amount of shits about you anymore <laughs> like yeah uh so yeah all of that is very strange and actually i hope it's felicin that is the is shaikh reborn because that would put like pit her against Tavor so much more. But it's also really interesting too that like we find out in this book that Baden was charged with taking care of Felicin, not only taking care of her, but getting her out of Skull Cup. I totally forgotten that by by her own sister because Tavor essentially was like, okay, I need to show loyalty without actually condemning my own family member to right house Perrin. 
not high in the Lassine's eyes right now. Well, Lassine doesn't know about Tavor hiring Baden because because oh, right, Tavor right. Tavor have sought out a, a a talent instead of a claw. Right, right. Who are supposed to be dead? So Baden, yeah, Baden is a talent, not a claw. So it's very different thing there i loved learning about some of the history there that was really cool yeah that was really really neat and how Baden's uh dad was around for a lot of the really key events here yeah he yeah, saw clan and dancer ascend totally so it's really interesting that if felician had just kind of gone along with Baden's plan in skull cup to begin with a lot of the horrible things that happened to her might not have happened to her right. but also how the hell could she possibly have i feel like Baden should have mentioned it to her like why wouldn't he say like hey your sister by the way like told me well maybe Tavor right. didn't have a like chance you're taking to tell a major her. one for the team <laughs> right like i feel like Baden should have been like okay now that we're here before you run off and like try to get yourself any kind of aid by anybody here or like right. sell your you start, body yeah before you do anything like that which i understand is very valid uh i'm actually trying to get you out of here so just like listen to me i'm a talon right. why wouldn't he say any of that i just don't understand like why he also has like a certain amount of like resentment for like the way that she composed herself and it's like dude like what the fuck else was she supposed to do like what kind of like, on you bro like i know like yeah those actions <laughs> because she thought she had he's no like you're such a left. whore yeah yeah he's like <laughs> you're such dude, a whore like, like why did you say anything man like i don't know like yeah it's like bad you could have been just like yeah well okay but this is what you don't know that's going on your sister sold you out but has set up a contingency plan to rescue you yeah uh, i think the difference between the claw and the talon are kind of a um almost an allegory for the difference in the the reign of kellen vedet dancer and the old empire and then the new empire because the talons are mentioned um they were started by kellen vedet dancer and they were focused outward they were like spies they would go help them uh take over the enemies of the mazan empire whereas lacine's claw they focus internally they mm -hmm. are like inward spies and kind of work to destroy um, corruptions and enact her will upon the innards of the Malazan Empire. So whereas Kellen Van and Dancer are using their kind of hidden military force to fight outward, she's using it to fight inward. And it just kind of shows the, like, one of them had loyalty and the other one had fear, kind of, and uses their secret military arm to uh, kind of um, reflect the way that they rule, you know? I want to move kind of toward the front part of this book. Um when they're on the Salanda and the bone dragon shows up and bone so let dragon. me just, let me just, uh, let me try <laughs> to like put this in uh, simple terms for myself, just for like my own peace of mind. And then you can correct me if you think that I'm getting any of this wrong. I'm sorry. Like discord. I know uh, we have the recap here. We were doing our best, but it seems like Culp was really struggling with his own Warren um, and trying to get them out of this spot. Um, and then this dragon shows up and kind of carves its own path out of there. Uh, and then they follow it out of the Warren. Correct. Right. Okay. I, I don't uh, know if they follow it because the, the dragon goes into past... a Warren of all of fire. And the opening of that Warren kind of like floods the ship with fire, which is why Bowden like yeah, totally uh, jumps over Felicin. So I think the dragon was going into a Warren that was like solid fire. Um, <laughs> and in order to like get away, maybe he was just moving on or something. And then, somehow that 
maybe maybe they go through the same warren or something but somehow that gets them back into like the mortal realm or something that's what i didn't understand is like i understood that um you know colt is like calling on as many ascendants as he can and they're all like right. trying to fight that was really like, cool. help us heal this warren I, I get that um but i didn't understand like how it got them back to seven cities like i don't that was what was kind of conf- they just kind of like are back and it's, yeah well they I jump was, like, off what? the ship and they kind of right. land there so maybe that Maybe I don't really know ship. either. Maybe it was like them not being on the ship anymore. Maybe the ship itself was Warren because we we are mentioned multiple times that like Warrens exist in certain places, like inside Napo's bag. There's like his own private like bag of holding Warren <laughs> in there, holding. you know? Yeah, yeah, his bag of holding. And so maybe the ship being on the ship is like being in the Warren. And so by jumping out, they freed themselves from it. I'm not really sure about that because they definitely land like outside of the Warren, you know. So it seems like they're going through some sort of rent by jumping ship um it's interesting though when culp gets taken by the dragon and then the other ascendants are like gleeful to have a willing mortal who's like come in me use me to heal this warren um it kind of tells us a little bit like and we had it hinted at earlier earlier in the story that all the warrens are connected somehow so like by one of them being destroyed would definitely have some sort of averse effect on many of them if not all of them um and then he's overwhelmed by this blue flame that he thinks is going to burn him but then it doesn't and in fact he says something he says like i've achieved immortality at last take that hood and then so i think it's telling us a little bit about ascendancy because if you ascend you either get to like claim an unclaimed warren or a new one is made in your name using your power or something like that like maybe the warren is where like the magic of that ascendant like it's extra magic is like held it's like a physical representation of its extra magic as their mortal form is like not able to hold it all or something um because because i think that (laughs) that that energy that he has is like ascendancy magic i think he gets some of that in him you know and he's like oh wow dragon too like the dragon gives him a little bit too which is totally i just it's a dragon and ascendant like i didn't know like what like i think so going on like that was because the the Magan, the, the, the Magan, the dragon is a Talon mass bone caster, I'm pretty sure. Totally, yes. And I guess is... they also have like a dragon form? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was really. Or maybe they're really, really taken dragons. You can shape shift. Okay, so as we're talking about things that kind of confused us, I didn't really understand the city full of dead that they find later. And like what happened there? And there's like this big army, and these people are all like frozen in stone. Do you have any insight as to like. What the hell happened in that city? Basically, it, it seems to be like a. It was like it was meant like the first empire or something like that. Like so, they find you know this kind of like city basically, and then Haboric is talking about something like the path of the soul taken, which I think is different than the path of hands and different than the path to ascension. Yeah, it's a different path to ascension. <laughs> I think like I think you can reach like the ascendancy power via soul taken juice. Um, yeah, but that, I think that was when they realized also that the dragon was a, a, a bone caster as well. Um, oh, okay. But I, I, I think, I don't, I don't, we just have to read more. I'm so sorry like, to everybody listening where it sounds like Chad and I just really have no idea what, what we're talking <laughs> about because we just don't. Like, I just don't know what any of that was. It's not no. helped by the fact that like Haboric during all of that is just saying all this really weird stuff that doesn't make any sense. And and Culp, Culp and Felicin, I feel like when he's doing that are just kind of like, they're so exhausted that they just don't really care what he's saying. They're not right. asking him okay. to elaborate or anything. And I think that Culp um, kind of knows what Hiborg is talking about, but like doesn't see any real reason to explain it to Felicin or anything. You know what? And Felicin totally. is just like, oh, there's a there's actually a quote here 
from Felicin like during this whole scene that I thought was really, really interesting. So she's just kind of like bum it out. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, because like, why wouldn't you be after everything? not having a good day? You know what I mean? And she's just like looking at this, you know, it's this civilization that's been forgotten for tens of thousands of years just just under the rubble like under the dust for you know and it was obviously like this horrific like really traumatizing like event that had happened totally. to everybody and thousands now they're all, of like, children because of like the floods that brought all kinds of miller minerals they're all like basically statues now and it's, oh yeah i thought that was really cool actually um but she said she thinks to herself we do not but scratch the world frail and fraught Every vast drama of civilizations, of peoples with their certainties and gestures means nothing, affects nothing. Life crawls on, ever on. And it was just like, <laughs> like oh Man, my God. What a nihilistic like, view of everything. I like... mean, how could you not feel like that, though? Right. Like seeing these these civilizations, like this particular one, like this is like an entire city or at least a very large town full of people that she didn't even she didn't, no one's thinking about this you know what i mean like that no one's it doesn't matter you know i mean it matters to like right, a boy because right. he's like ranting about something but like for her she's just like wow the insignificance of all of this like this is so ridiculous and then i've got this other thing here that she says just a little bit later uh, she wondered if the gift of revelation of discovering the meaning underlying humanity offered nothing more than a devastating sense of futility it's the Oof. ignorant who find a cause and cling to it for within that is the illusion of significance faith a king queen or emperor or vengeance all the bastion of fools <laughs> man what a fucking amazing writer oh my god yeah, that's dude. so good i read that so many times but yeah i mean uh Felicin is really ruminating on just how futile everything is like how it's like assigning value to any of this is just it's such an exercise in futility like it's so meaningless to care about like the, the events going on in the world and like who is ascending and like who holds power and all of that right i, I mean i feel like at this point fellison has been kind of whittled down to basically just an instrument of revenge who doesn't care at all about her own life even when Baden is like trying to explain to her like what the situation was we're so far past she's so it's like she knows what he's trying to tell her and she's like shut up like, I don't even right. want to hear you say that this is all, that there's something about right. this. Don't like, take this. my revenge away from me because it's literally the only fuel in my tank right now. Like, I don't think I can get out of bed tomorrow unless I have my hatred to, like, keep me going, oh you know? Gosh. Do you yeah. think that Bowden kind of falls in love with Felicin? No. No? Because he saves her at the end, right? He, he tells her to go away, or she tells him to go away, and he does, like, immediately to everyone else's, like, no! He's just dedicated to his mission. I think he's got a mission. You think so? From yeah, I mean, he's a talent. That's his whole thing. Like, it's, you yeah, know, I mean, true, I think I that he, I think he leaves when she wants him to because he knows that it's just easier that way. You know totally. what I mean? He can like still I, do his job, too, if he just trails him. Yeah, like, I mean, if I would probably, if I could do my job without having to listen to her yelling at me all the time, I'd probably try to do it from a distance, totally. too, you know? He's trying to work <laughs> remote as often me how as worthless can. I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but uh, again, like, I mean, I think it's silly for him to 
tell her when he's literally seconds away from death like that when she's past the point of even accepting that as a reality and accept like what is she supposed to do just be like oh wow my sister's actually pretty cool like don't worry about all the 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 flies that infested me and like laid eggs in my skin or anything like no don't don't i had to sell my body for a few months and i got addicted to drugs and i was you know in a slave camp for yeah like no don't don't that that's fine now i know that tavor was actually cool yeah thanks sis i don't know i mean i'm i'm pretty excited to see what else we get out of Felicin in the next book uh and then the next couple volumes i hope that she's around for those too because she's quickly become like one of my favorite characters in malazan like every time totally. it's very Felicin, interesting yeah really really interesting except the chapters have kind of evolved to a point of, of almost nonsense like what we're talking about right now we're yeah. trying to figure out it's like these sections where it's just like oh my god like you've got like this guy with no hands who seems to be tripping balls over here and i don't know what anything means like i don't know what any of this means but but he went from being like so weak he couldn't keep up with them in the desert to like now they're both hanging on to him two people are hanging on him while he climbs down a cliff you know i liked liked reading that but me too yeah i thought that was really cool yeah about is an interesting character and i was kind of definitely really sad when he dies you know and it was it was kind of sweet that felison kind of cradles his head you know it shows like he's she's not totally gone like she has some compassion within her and it was funny when she learns about her sister and she says you know like this changes nothing of her feelings towards her sister um as the bodyguard killed or as bowden the bodyguard killed her lover and that's what she's now mad at. and it's like i feel like she didn't even have to really like that didn't take away the bad thing that tavor did to her it was like oh just because she put in like a contingency plan didn't mean that she also like sold you out yeah for, she like, did immense yeah. suffering like you don't have to change your reason why you hate her fellas and she's still very hate worthy for the original reason like i'm wondering now if like if tavor felt like she needed to do that like was there some kind of like other thing going on with the parent family where tavor felt like she was compelled to become um the adjunct you know what i mean like was it was it because if because we're only seeing felison's point of view i feel like and you know sharing felison's point of view it's like initially we're like oh tavor just wanted to you know increase her station or get to a you know, right. get a promotion or whatever but it's like now i'm kind of thinking why would tavor even like put felison through this at all if she had a plan to make it so that she could escape i think that tavor was almost like forced to be the adjunct or the parent family was so destitute that she didn't have a choice or something totally maybe well, something I mean, like that i'm not sure she heard of their brother right who's part of the or like leading uh the bridge burners who are now outcasts so it's like i think she's like is less seen looking at the entire parent family no because she's kind of already re- risen through the ranks it sounds like yeah. and maybe is already being looked at for the position of adjunct and she's like well now I think Lestine is questioning all of our loyalty because Perrin isn't an outlaw. So, like, I got to do something big as a gesture to let her know, like, nope, I'm still on my side and show her that, like, my family is not more important than the Empire. I'm willing to sell them out. It's like, I'm not on Perrin's side. He's an outlaw. I'm with you, Lestine. Okay. Yeah, that makes, keep, that makes sense. Yeah, we keep getting a little... Like, Lestine is an interesting character. I don't necessarily want POV chapters from her. I kind of like her this being this Enigma character, but, like... As we learn about her, it seems like she keeps going from like, she's like, oh man, she's so bad. She's so evil. She's so bad. And like, was she though? Like, because she, you know, the Claw and the Talon get into this battle and the Claw end up winning. And then Lassine takes over the Empire. And it kind of seems like Kalanved and Dancer were, I don't know, off doing their own thing, chasing down trinkets of power and stuff. And it, and weren't really leading the Malazan Empire very well, it sounds like. So, 
like not being a good custodian perhaps like, like i don't want to say that lacine's all good or anything but it i don't know maybe she didn't have as much choice as we think she did you know i'll grant that it's maybe more complicated but i yeah, still like, i still think you know at the end of the day uh empire is just kind of gross in my opinion like i Holy. mean where you know we talked in the episode before this like you're kind of in charge of drawing your own moral lines in the sand when it comes to these mm -hmm. books and for me personally like i just i don't care how complicated it is like they decided to you know colonize all of these places that right, didn't right. ask them to come in here and solve any of their problems you know what i mean it's like even if seven cities was this chaotic like hotbed of like Tribal wars and warfare I, yeah. whatever <laughs> like no they don't get to go in there and say this is the way it's got to be now it's not your like, business that's, exactly like so i just like i'm i like i can totally see like oh lasine's probably like way more interesting but also like Fuck her, you know what I mean? Like that's at least, <laughs> like that's at least, and 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 fuck the Malazan Empire, and like this is all. Yeah. I feel like they're stirring up so many hornets' nests that just for the sake of empire, and I think that's something that I'd really like to explore, and I hope gets more explored over the course of these books. Is like why, why, like like is it just this, um, this raw kind of like need to expand and more power? kind of thing or is there some kind of like like what was the motivation behind I mean, like the initial steps of the empire you know uh i want to explore that there's this kind of like bs little like side reason of altruism that like tends to like get given to us but like not supported in any way that makes you be like oh right the malazans are altruistic like no 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 but there's like little hints like coltane right him and his wiccans were they used to be a member of the tribal warfare that were fighting each other but then joined because they were like well the malazan empire has seemed to united and stopped all this tribal killing and so coltane kind of gets um inducted into the empire um and and you know that does solve the tribal warfare but like it also starts a lot of other problems too so it's like i don't know uh let's yeah. talk about coltane though and his his yeah, march it's a good segue into coltane oh uh, yeah totally. so uh, kind of what we said at the top of this episode i remembered there being a lot more coltane in the chain of dogs mm -hmm. chapter but i think or book i should say but i think there's more of him in the next one too uh yeah my just... brain disseminated all of coltane's coolness into one volume yeah, one book here and it's not really this. true um, okay, so I thought that most of this was pretty cool. I mean, I I really like Duiker a lot. Duiker's such an awesome character. Yep. Um, I love. This isn't really related to a whole bunch of other stuff, but I just love when that woman that he meets is just like, oh, I'm gonna make you scream or whatever tonight." And yeah. <laughs> and like Erickson like makes sure to like tell us that Duiker like kept fighting not because of lust but because of something else totally whatever I, but yeah. it's just such a funny part you know um so i really like that a lot because i you know i hope i hope duiker gets uh the action that he very much deserves after going through all of this Dude, straight um, up but yeah let's talk a little bit more about um what was going on uh so it seems like there is another uh so the chemist wrote what is his name chemist uh, rillo as chemist i think is right yeah it's something i know rillo is right um so there is this other Tithansi war leader um who has is is now a threat as well uh coltane's train is huge it's like fifty thousand people now i think it's fifty thousand refugees actually and then there's still like tons yeah. of soldiers and there's just and everybody's dying all the time like i think it's it's like hunger um, thirst there was like this i can't remember what the actual sentence was but it was like there was just like this perpetual death happening at the end of the line you know what i mean it's right, just, like at the very back yeah yeah they're just constantly being bitten at by all these people it's just they're just limping through the desert totally just leaving a trail of corpses in their wake but basically what happens is um 
Lowell comes up, Captain Lowell says, okay, we're going to go deal with this um, to fancy, like, uh, what is it? Like a... The Tulanti uh, tribesmen, like they're the warriors? Uh, yeah, but it's like this one person who's like a... Uh, is it is the Semp god or like... Oh, it's god. the Semp... Yeah, Semp... Oh um, my god, I'm sorry. I'm so it's a demon, I think, right? It's the Semp demon. Who's like, who's like contained in this body because they like sewed his mouth and yeah, nose yeah, yeah, shut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what a visual what a visual i know um but yeah like let's talk about that a little bit more because i was definitely pretty I, I really understood what was going on i i feel like yeah his battles especially that battle with camastrillo that camastrillo has three different armies from seven cities each one containing more troops than in coltane's army they also have had time they get there first to the they get to pick the point of battle they get to hang out there for like a week or so before Coltane shows up. So they've got like this whole thing set up where, you know, the ground is so to their favor. They've set up, they've made this huge earthen ramp that lead up to them at the top that Coltane is forced to march up and go through in order to continue on. And it's just like a funnel of death. Like there's no way Coltane should have won that battle. He's fighting uphill against three armies, each one larger than his own, who have had time to prepare the battlefield before them. And Coltane still marches through them. Like, so cool. So how does he do that? Can you explain like how yeah. he's able... Like, how is this able to happen? Like, why isn't this entire army and all these refugees just murdered, like, right then and there? A few things, and I think probably the arrogance of, like, Hamastrillo um, being he's primary... Yeah, it's predictable, yeah. right? But they sneeze so they said like one of the generals or something is like all oh, the sappers like they they abandoned us and they left and it's like no no the sappers don't the sappers don't leave they snuck off um like howler style to go and bury <laughs> themselves in the corpse of some enemy land you know but they really uh they bury themselves in the mud of this ramp and so they're able to like pop up and like there's nothing quite as explosive. I don't care what sort of mage you are or with what sort of magic, but there's nothing quite so like disrupting to a force of enemies as like those Moranth munitions just being used to yeah. a huge effect, right? And so they get the surprise attack on them. There, um, the Wiccan warrior, the the Wiccan, um, the the Wiccan troops, they have like this special armor that they put on their horses. And so right after the sappers like blow them up, kind of disrupt the lines, make sure that the um the front line is not clean. It's not a clean line. They've got a lot of holes in it because everyone's kind of reeling from these explosions. That's when these super heavily armored Wiccan uh, cavalry charge comes in and just like blasts them up part and i think the thing to the thing that's important to remember when like fighting not that i've ever fought large troops of enemies or anything but <laughs> what seems to be the case is regardless of numbers or the actual power deferential between the two armies if you can put fear into one of them you win basically and that's what coltane is so effective at doing is just kind of like turning left when everyone thinks he's going to turn right and regardless of the deferential of the power deferential one troop having way more than the other, he manages to put fear into the other troops and they break time and time again. So they're just running away and Coltane Coltane's troops, you know, they're also driven by, um, they know if they don't win, it's death. Totally. And so that's a pretty yeah. big motivator to, to do that. Cause a lot of people sacrifice themselves. Like those two wizards, they sacrifice themselves and that horse to channel all of that horses and I guess is magic into the Wiccan um, cavalry charge as they're coming up on the reeling sure. forces of Relo. So it's just a combination of awesome things, but I think fear is the real thing that wins the battle for him. Well, and what was the other thing that um, kind of in the chat, in the book before this, when uh, Corporal List, I think, when who was talking to Duiker when they were 
uh, kind of observing the the crossing, the battle yeah, of the huh? crossing. Uh, he said something to the effect of, "I'm so sorry, if, I'm not going to quote this uh, perfectly, but he said something to the effect of like, there's uh, like we're maintaining like an illusion of." competence or like organization or something totally. like that it's like yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're like appearing more together than we actually are you know at least that's totally. how i took it i could be wrong about that but yeah, you're totally right and coltane even goes out of his way to build up his reputation as like something bigger than just a general he's like a god to the to his enemies you know so they yeah. fear him they should <laughs> and mean, they, they should yeah. they really should i mean coltane's so badass i mean he's, so he, he's not i mean um you know, he he doesn't care about these nobles. Like, he's not telling anybody anything. He gives them the anything. gold to slow him oh down. Oh, my God. I loved that? that part. There was like, it's going to slow them down. And they're just like, dude, we are so far past needing right. gold right now. Like, we're <laughs> just... A hunk of metal. Take it. <laughs> so he buys so all of their slaves from them so and then good. gives them the heaviest. <laughs> wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that what I was confused about more than anything was kind of like apt the demon coming back and like as uh so we, we really mentioned I th we mentioned in the recap but um like duiker notices claw like throwing stars and like just evidence that right. there are there is a claw around and he's like ah oh, what the hell like but there's no claw around here like why is there one of them here but what right. happened is that pearl the claw that uh Lestara yill meets i'm surprised i'm getting Another all this right like red <laughs> <Hey. laughs> um they are in the Imperial Warren after Kalam, and then something happens where they're like, well, we need to dip out they and see go a gate. deal with... Why do they go through it, though? I don't that really know. That was what know. I was confused about, because they seem like so dead set on following Kalam. Lestari Yil doesn't want to, I think, but Pearl's like, no, we got to go in here and check it out. But does Pearl, like, is he is he pulling rank or something? Really, like Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that was that was what I was the most confused about. I was like, why are they there now? Like, I mean, totally. like, I Apt, think that shows up to the Semp demon and um, and then apt all kind of confused me as to like what part that they were playing here and what the like child that apt gets was. And then then apt forces or asks Cotillion who agrees to like um, to uh, heal all of the children that were crucified. And so he has like his own like undead child child army now. <laughs> <laughs> which just seems brutal but it does again it works to strike fear into the heart of Kamastrilo's army because they don't see any of these children get taken like one thing first thing one thing they know they're like great we crucified all these children we're evil and then next thing they know like all the children are gone and they're like how like what forces are at play here that we don't know you know i think let's just more read and find out kind of stuff uh, totally. hopefully i i mean is that boy that app puts on her back is that quick ben Am I super wrong about that? I, I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't, I don't, know I don't why. think so. Yeah, maybe I'm just like maybe, maybe the boy here. has some sort of significance. I don't know, but Apt seems obviously there's more going on inside her than meets the eye, right? Because we we see her as this like three legged, one eyed, like cyclops yeah. evil demon, but she like saves children. She's constantly trying to like um. There's, there's like another conversation where she's asking kalam to like not kill somebody or something or she's like kind of petitioning him to like oh no but they're kids and he's like no we got to kill him anyway or whatever i don't know she's like she's got some depth to her that i'm like really i don't really know what role she's playing right now there's a part where apt like rips something out of its stomach or something yeah. and like, what the hell was that <laughs> yeah. like, and then the kid like tries to grab it or something and totally. it's just i just don't know what's happening she really wants to be a mom i guess <laughs> i don't know I don't what's really going know. on dude. 
Oh man. Uh yeah. So I think that Lestara, Yell, and Pearl like they went back to help because I mean they are on the side of the Malazans and they're being right. like I mean, they have the same enemy, so I guess it makes sense. Um but it was totally. still it just seemed weird because they seemed like so dead set on following Kalam. That's just the way it shook down, so that's just what what happened. Do you think <laughs> Kalam is gonna get to Empress Lucene? Do you think we're gonna have a showdown? At I don't some point know. Yeah, I don't remember anything. I really, I all I remember from the next book, and I'm really not even spoiling anything. It's just like a little bit of what happens on the on the Ragstopper, like the ship. There's like mm-hmm, some drama totally. that goes on there, um, but I can't really remember much else. I just remember. Hopefully, this isn't a spoiler, but just I don't know how it could be. But the end of this book is trippy as hell. Like I don't know, it's it's and like, also really sad sometimes too. There's a few moments that are just like. I mean, there's sad moments in all these books. I feel yeah, like, yeah, but, yeah. I but mean, there's one that I'm, really hits your heart hard. Let's uh, let's stay in this one though, because I don't want to. Okay, okay. I don't want to get too close to spoiler spoiler territory. But yeah, um, so the stuff with Apt, I was definitely a little bit confused about, but I hope that we find out a little bit more about that. If you're in the Discord, please like let me know if I'm. Well, I'm. I know I'm confused. Let me know why okay. I'm confused, please. Uh, just with the stuff with Apt and Shadow Throne, that was the thing that I think with all of this, that and uh, the stuff that Haboric was rambling about in that weird, like petrified city. I think those two right. things were the things that I was definitely just like, I don't know what's going on here. But what do you think Kalanved and Dancers' like end game is? Obviously, they're waging this war like beyond no the grave to, with Lacine, kind of. But like, are they trying to retake over their their empire and maybe position? Um and get like Absalar to like rule there and then like use her as like a a proxy emperor or something so they can still rule is that their game that definitely seems to be Mappo's or was it Mappo and Fiddler that were talking about it I, I think so yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah it was like that crew um that definitely seems to be like a hunch you know that, okay like the, the how Shadow will rule instead of right Lassie, right you know? um I think so but I, I mean with the ascendance. Ah, there's probably some kind of other really complicated thing going on. You know what totally. I mean? Like, I think that on its surface, yeah, they they are still very much alive in their own way, and they don't like the fact that Lacine is ruling um, as their she empire, is. Yeah. Um, but I also think that I don't know, like, kind of in line with what Felicen was talking about, or at least ruminating on earlier, of the kind of like futility of everything. It just seems like kind of beneath an ascendant to like still mess around with all right. of, you know you know what i'm trying to say like it, it's just oh, totally I, I hope that there's a more complicated reason than just kellen vet and dancer are just kind of petty about what happened like as gods basically like i don't know that's kind totally of well, it seems like once you reach an ascendancy and there was a little bit during uh the first book that we kind of get a conversation i think between the elder god cruel and and maybe uh, animander rake where he's like you know are you ever fulfilled playing these mm-hmm. games of mortals and animander rake's like no but i'm gonna keep doing it because i don't really know what else to <laughs> no, do you I'm know here. and so it's like i'm alive i'm conscious so yeah I'm, so it's I'm like i don't going. know i think there's kind of this um like hopelessness that the ascendants kind of have of just like they get tired after a while but i, I really do think that their thing is just using the mortal world like play these games against each other and try to accumulate power and like i don't i think that even at the end of the day if you were to like have a real honest conversation with any one of them they would be like yeah no what we're doing is just kind of like pointless and we're just playing games (laughs) you know like they're always like laughing and kind of you know anamanda rake like very much at risk of his own like mortality he doesn't even know if he's going to win that fight against the demon that um um lorne 
deploys in Darujistan, and it's like, but he's okay with that. He's like, man, that's cool. If I go down fighting, it's all right. I lived a good life, sort of thing, you know. And so I think they're just kind of maybe a little feudalistic and just like whatever. I'm yeah, I'm still trying to get. To, I'm playing the game, but like I'm having fun while doing it, even though I know it's kind of just futile. Another pretty grisly notice that I had. It's just not really connected to what you were talking about at all. But uh, after the battle when Corporal Lowell or Sergeant, I can't remember his rank, but Lowell comes up and he had been like hit in the face pretty hard so that like most of his face was pretty mangled. Rearranged. And, and Duiker was just like, oh God. And then yes. Lowell was like, hey, whatever. I still got all my teeth, man. I like, got bloody. <laughs> I got every single one of my teeth. I am so stoked. I just thought that was totally. really. And then that's when he explains about the chain of dogs thing too. Right, uh, right, to, right. To Duiker too, which I really liked. There's a cool theme of illusion in this book where that Culp is kind of the driving driver of it, where it's like illusion becomes reality multiple times. You know, that's how he fixes the rent in um in in his Warren is by convincing the Warren it's that it itself is healed. You know, it's like, like that illusion can reality. become real if you just believe in it hard enough, you know? And, and that's like, almost nothing's real anyway. So right. I, yeah, I thought that's, and that's kind like of that. how Coltane is so successful is he weaves illusion that becomes reality, you know? Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny that you uh, were mentioning something that kind of had that kind of double meaning to it, because I wanted to talk a little bit about convergence, uh, Ooh, this okay. word yeah, convergence, yeah. which we've seen, this word has popped up quite a few times, and I think there's a convergence in the literal sense of what's ex what's going on specifically in this book with many characters meeting, yeah. Well, there's the path of hands and the soul taken of the divers and everything. That's a sort of convergence. And then also, there was a little bit of talk of whether or not like, wasn't it like, like, did Shaikh like plan this for like to intercept with the, the Drajna? You know what I mean? Like, was right, right. Like, this could have happened at any time. Like, why is it happening? Like, with this year, like this exact moment, you know? And I think that with, with Dead House Gate specifically, there's so many things that are happening that are kind of converging. Like, we're, we're headed somewhere. The Soul totally. Taken and Divers are headed somewhere. There's a reason that this all of this whirlwind stuff is happening right now. There's a reason that Ikarium and Mapo met up with Fiddler and Absalar and Crocus and everything. I mean, I feel like, in a broader sense, Erickson has so many plot lines and characters all struggling through all these events. Tool said it in the first book. He, says, he said that power draws power. You know, mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's Erickson's way of saying, like, look at all this disparate stuff. Like, look how unconnected it all seems on the surface. Right. But given enough time and context, these things are all interwoven. It seems like a mess, but there's there's like a beautiful order to the chaos of the world. There's a warp and a weft to everything on multiple different layers. And I think that the idea of convergence is, is it's almost like for me personally reading these books it's like my way of knowing that I'm in good hands with this author. Like this author is aware that power draws power. That like it's like raindrops on a window. Like the all the like the, the heaviest raindrop is dragging all the other Ooh, ones nice, with it. You know nice what I analogy. mean? That was good. Yeah. And so so like <laughs> while I sound really confused and while I'm sure a lot of readers are very confused, it's like I still trust that there's a convergence coming. I still trust totally. that there are, there are many convergences that will lead to an even bigger one later down the road. And that we just have to kind of like trust that some of this is going to We're headed in a direction. Sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's such a brilliant way to write fantasy books. I mean, my God, like, like what more rewarding 
read could you ask for you know i mean totally maybe it's just the the uh the FromSoft fan in me like the, the dark souls fan <laughs> in me i like the i like the pain because it leads to the pleasure eventually. right right but um yeah darkest like night followed by the lightest of days you know right i mean but this this idea that um and i think i mentioned it a couple episodes ago too of this is is fate or destiny like are we on rails here like what's right, I, that's right. what i want to start really exploring hopefully and i hope that the, the series goes into that and a if so bit. who made the rails sure, sure yeah I mean, or who can remove them you know right, like right, I don't, right yeah like that's um something that i'm really interested to see later in this series that i mean it's it's just buried um you know i mean i feel like i've been singing this 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 series praises so much but i do feel like uh if i was going to critique in any way i mean i just i feel like it is really it's really tedious sometimes like it's, it's definitely really like sometimes. it's tedious to the point for me honestly of like boredom sometimes where right, it's just right. like man, if i I've don't read know why things are happening that i don't understand yeah it's, yeah and i and i think that at this point after especially you know it's my second time reading this book I do have confidence that it's going to get interesting again, but I think that sometimes when I'm reading it, I'm just like, I'm in the middle of a chapter and there's just these giant paragraphs of info dumping and like, yeah. and it's just, it. sometimes it can just get a little tedious and a little bit just like overwhelming because it's like, I know that I'm not going to understand it for a while or I think I do understand it <laughs> and then I'm wrong or I don't know whether or not i'm supposed to understand it and i'm frustrated so there's right, just like a lot right. of different feelings happening with these for sure and i think that the kind of the through line that makes it all okay that makes it all worth it and like makes me be like yeah no that's fine i mean still in good hands is the characters their relationships with each other and like mm -hmm. the internal things that they're going through because they're so clearly laid out for us like who's struggling with what and who has relationships and crocus just trying to be a man and absalar fighting like her past that she kind of remembers but doesn't and her identity um and felicin and all these characters have their own like struggles that are very well laid out for us like i'm not confused as to why felicin is upset you know sure. it's like there's yeah. a lot of things that aren't confusing in these books and that really allow you to kind of latch on it's it. like yeah maybe i don't know exactly what this like crazy like undead stone people city is but like i know the relationships of the characters and their struggles as they go through it and like that kind of allows me to be like okay that I, I can be on that raft and still get across this river you know oh no we're locked in because of the quality of these characters and yeah and, yeah i mean really I, like i don't think that i would be as into this like if, if it was just the world building alone and the characters weren't very good i think i don't know how much more patience i would have for it no. but i want to read about Haboric and felicin and mapo and Acarium and i i want to find out more about these people and so, yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, uh, it's funny. Like, I don't think I, there's, it, it never happens where I'm like, oh, damn it. Now we got to read a Mapo and Akarium part, you know? Right. Like, oh, never Mapo happens. and Akarium, yeah. yeah. Or then, then right. I'm like, oh, really Duiker, oh my God, I'm back at Kalam. Like, sweet. Yeah. Oh my, oh, an apt chapter? This is Good fantastic. Notice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I never feel like that. And that's, I mean, that's saying a lot because uh, when I, even when I'm reading like Song of Ice and, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, it's like, uh, damn it. There's like always this. a character group or something. Yeah. And this is almost the opposite. You're like kind of excited to leave who you were just with to move <laughs> on to the next one. You totally. know, like, like, okay, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah especially because some of the scenes can get so dark too. I Man, mean, like kids so getting crucified. It's just like, yeah. This is just so bleak. And um, I mean, like I said before, I mean, there's still a decent amount of humor. There's some levity to it for sure. But this book in particular, I've heard is like one of the darker ones 
like it's one of the more like grisly. I, I don't know how much darker you could get, honestly. <laughs> yeah, thirteen hundred <laughs> children crucified. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a that's a tall order. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't really have much else to go on about. Uh, this. Yeah, what do you think? Coldplay's destiny is going to land up at the end of this book. I don't remember, honestly. I do remember, so I'm not going to say anything. Okay, word, word, word. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. Um, but what about Heberick? Do you have any have any predictions? Dude, I have no. I can't remember. Him? Like, I think we really just have to read and find out. Like, I think that this yeah. this episode just has to be one of those kind of this is like a bridge episode. I feel like oh, it was like a clear and defined ellipsis at the end, like to be continued. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> yeah. This is definitely one of those ones where. I I wish I could just have some better articulated answers to things, but I think we're just gonna have to wait till the next book. Yeah, you know? I think so too. But until then, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for going on this Malazan ride with us. We are officially on the roller coaster now. I mean, we are oh, yeah. out of the parking lot. We we paid admission, and you know we're we're throwing up on the rides. So the holy desert sands of Raku are swirling around <laughs> us in this swirling. whirlwind of confusion and 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 blood and violence, but also of hope and people overcoming their oh absolutely uh, deficiencies. You know, and uh, yeah. We're going to wrap it up here, but we are certainly not wrapped up at all for Malazan. We have many, many episodes left. We have one episode left for Deadhouse Gates, and then we're moving into Memories of Ice, book Ooh, three, man. which uh, I've heard Memories of Ice is a fan favorite, one of the best it's books in the whole series. A damn good one. And we get some cool. kind of a, a new flavor arrives at the scene. You know, we've had a lot of the similar like mayonnaise. We get some we get some spice put on the sandwich. You're like, oh, dang, I didn't even know he needed this. And I'm stoked. You know, if there's one thing that Malazan needs, it's some more storylines. Some more story, more <laughs> characters. I really feel like we need more characters, yeah, more like backstories, maybe more history I, too. That would be great. I would really love. Let's <laughs> just, pottery. like, man. Okay. Anyway, uh, everybody, again, thank you so much for listening. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.